So welcome to another episode of the Square Talk podcast. And this week we're focusing on Masonic Halls and in particular Freemasons Hall in Leicester. How it runs, how we manage to cater for the many lodges and people that meet there, as well as the private functions. So to do this, I would like to welcome Nicola and Greg. Welcome to Square Talk. Hello, Hello everyone. Hi. Now, before we go into some of the detail, I want to ask you both, could you please introduce yourselves? Tell us about your roles, how involved you are with the operations. I'm Nicola Hollyoak, and I'm a consultant to Freemasons Hall in Leicester now. It is now my 23rd year of being connected to the hall, and I came to, to Freemasons Hall to start the business of Devonshire Place, which is the non-Masonic business, and eventually became the general manager of Devonshire Place and then Freemasons Hall. After a short gap in 2013, when I took a break from working due to illness, I'm now back and I'm thoroughly enjoying working alongside a team of staff and the directors to improve the quality of the experience of visitors and brethren to the hall. And I'd like to hand over to uh, head chef, Greg. Thank you, Nick. Uh, my name's Greg Pragnall, and I'm the head chef at the Masonic Hall here in Leicester. Uh, I have, haven't been here as long as Nick. I've only been here just over a year, but I enjoy it immensely. And uh, I look forward to many more years here under Nicola. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, Nick. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited about this podcast. So uh, over to you, Richard. Well, brilliant. And thanks for the introduction and thanks for taking the time. Uh, strangely, obviously, we're doing this via Zoom at the moment as opposed to face to face. And that kind of leads me to my first question, which I think I'll aim at you, Nicola. So life at London Road this time of year is normally very hectic and, and busy with people coming in and out the building uh, all, all times throughout the day and the night. But it's not quite what it should be. So how is everything? The one thing we are missing is people. People and the opportunity to do what we do best. Everything's very quiet. As we've been supported since the start of the pandemic by the furlough scheme and it's meant that we've been able to support our 92 strong team of staff through various stages of this. It's very sad to see an empty building but we are taking the opportunity to do lots of things that we never have time to do. Things like cleaning out the safes and cleaning all our silver and also recording all our uh, food operation in much more detail so that we've got manuals so we've got training manuals we now have sadly had to make a few people redundant because the furlough scheme is ending uh, the job support scheme is open but not everybody qualifies for that and we also are doing some uh, government exempt business for Northampton University and we did some exams recently for which we received a commendation for our COVID secure building but we miss the brethren we miss our visitors we miss the sound of music but we do hope that when all this is over we will return we're very lucky that it, we're not a restaurant who have the um, possibility of not returning so all quiet but we are using the time to the best of our ability. 
I have to say, we're, we're obviously missing it as well. And it's going to be a great party when we're allowed to return, hopefully. Absolutely. Now, Greg, I know your work very well, probably far too well. I'm there an awful <laughs> lot when, uh, when we're allowed to be. But just ask about yourself. So how long have you been a chef and you know, where have you worked before? Where have you come from? Uh, so I've been a chef now for approximately 22 years coming up for. And uh, sort of my, my interest in food started when I was really young and probably in my mother's kitchen. Uh, she taught me how to make a Victoria sponge uh, with a wooden spoon, butter, sugar, creaming, etc. Yeah, so I sort of, that sort of planted a seed and I didn't really think about cooking as a career. I went to university, did my degree. I didn't really think about cooking until I went backpacking around Australia and somebody, I was looking for a job and somebody just said to me outside the job, outside the cafe said, uh, do you know anyone who wants to work in the kitchen? And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I gave them a load of um, hot air, should we say, how good I was in the kitchen. Went in, started doing basic cooking, loved the camaraderie in the kitchen, obviously with the Australians and me being English. And that sort of, from there, I decided that I would, I'd really like to become a chef. So I never went to college. I've always learned on the job. A little bit of background information. My father, funnily enough, used to be a chef as well. And he was a chef. He was trained in Westminster College and he worked in the Connaught Hotel in Mayfair in London. And so at home, we've always had like, you know, not fancy food, but just well-cooked, nice food. So, and it just sort of sunk in. And then I just, uh, I just started to get jobs in various different kitchens around Leicestershire. So I worked in Stapleford Park, Kilworth House, the Three Swans in Market Harbour, uh, Farndon Fields, a farm shop in Market Harbour. And now, as I know Nick, uh, and she used to come and eat at Farndon Fields, so I'm now at the Freemasons Hall in Leicester. Fantastic. Well, thanks for that background. So you started off in your mother's kitchen and uh, <laughs> then off to Australia and then, <laughs> and then you've been, been around it an awful lot. Well, it's, it's, it's great to understand your background, Greg, but where, where do you get your inspiration from for, I guess, for the meals that you do and for the excitement that you bring to the kitchen? So when, uh, when I first started, um, I was really sort of like, maybe focused in my own world with the inspiration. I would like block out the whole world and I just think about the food. As I've sort of grown older, possibly wiser, I hope, I think that inspiration is customer driven. So for example, here at, here at the Freemasons Hall, we have a type of customer, possibly like any other establishment out there. And it's knowing your customer that can then drive that inspiration forward. So I wouldn't dare ever to put, uh, let's say, quinoa salad on the menu at the Freemasons Hall. <laughs> good, because good. I don't, good. Yeah, exactly. I don't believe, you know, it's not. But really well-cooked meat, probably leaning towards more traditional roast potatoes, dolphinoir potatoes, and just sort of like, I wouldn't say playing it safe, but a tried and tested formula that, that the customers here, will, uh, the gentlemen, will really, really like. So what would you say is your sort of cooking ethos? What's your signature? 
Um, I would always say it's got to be wholesome. It's got to be fresh. It's got to be in season. Those main things are also tie into the business as well, because in season fresh food is generally the cheapest food. And we do have targets to meet like any other kitchen in the whole world. And also things, for example, like let's talk about strawberries, which is one of my pet hates. In season, delicious, brilliant. Don't need to do much with it. Some cream, excellent. Maybe a bit of meringue. Out of season, well, I mean, if you close your eyes, I always tell the chefs that I work with that they're, they're like red cucumbers, aren't they? You don't know. You don't know what you're eating. And they're like really expensive as well. So let's forget about that. And then I reckon that, you know, simple food just done right. And that's and that's it, really. And I worked with a chef once and he said, when you cook simple food, there's nowhere to hide on the plate. You can't put some foams and some airs and some fancy garnishes it is exactly what it is and if you've messed it up everyone and their dog will know that you're a bad chef i have to say this is making me quite hungry so uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right then. but at freemasons hall in particular so what's your favorite thing about cooking at freemasons hall in particularly for the members i guess we're a stereotypical um, type of person what's your favorite thing but the favourite thing is, this is sort of my first uh, foray into cooking for a mass audience. So let's say 100, 200, 300 people. I've always been an a la carte chef. I've always worked to a, a, what we call in the kitchen and like a ticket machine. However, we don't have that here in Freemasons Hall. I know that we're going to have 100 customers. Uh, 90 of them are going to be the fillet steak and 10 of them are going to be the vegetarian for an example and the pleasure here is being able to cook a hundred let's say fillet steaks medium rare just perfectly rested you know and they, they, they leave the kitchen and it's such a satisfying feeling especially when a couple of customers don't turn up and there's a few fillet steaks left over to eat uh but don't is that where they go and that's one element and just bringing something new to, because I'm new to this sort of space of this type of cooking, bringing something new. So uh, homemade breads, flavored butters, uh, let's say, for example, butter with like a, 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 chick, a fine chicken skin on the top. Just things that haven't been done before in this area at Freemason Hall, but taking what I've, learn from a la carte and being able to scale that up and then deliver it to the members and you know also just improving garnishes improving you know the way that things are delivered possibly it's always been silver service here where i know that has been the tradition but say moving forward into plated dishes plated desserts uh where you know garnishes can be can be fancy they can be attractive to the eye and just sort of like taking what was done before and just trying to lift it to the next level up and obviously not going too far because when you're in the kitchen and you've got 100 200 300 people and i have found this out if it goes wrong 
it can go badly wrong. <laughs> do, you to, do you want to tell us when, or is that a secret? That, that's a secret. I thought it might be. <laughs> well, you've certainly brought the, um, your, your personal style to the meal served at London Road. As anybody that's eaten there uh, will testify, it has been a fantastic standard. And I have a question, but probably not to you, Greg. You, you might not want to hear me ask this question, or, or certainly have the answer. <laughs> Dick, I'm going to come to you. Chefs have a reputation. I'm not saying Greg does, but chefs do. <laughs> and this reputation probably comes from some of our TV chefs that, let's say, have a fiery temperament. Is that true of Greg? I'm delighted to say it's not. We have our own Gordon Ramsay without either the, the temperament or the mouth. And Greg is the calmest chef I've ever worked with. Slightly unnervingly calm at times when you're facing a provincial grand lodge with 300 steak and kidney puddings to go out plated and there's all the elements lined up with a different person with a different thing to do and a team of waiting staff waiting to rush out and you think right chef stay calm stay calm i can guarantee that would never have been the case with any of our previous chefs and greg stands there calm as calm can be we are very lucky to have him as our chef and we know that and we know that we talk lots and lots of times. Greg and I spend many hours chatting about could we have done that better, what, what was wrong and we aim to improve and Greg's very open to customer feedback, likes to hear what the customer's got to say, even if a customer does something very bizarre. And we have these where customers ask for a very odd sauce to go with a dish, you know, an accompaniment sauce like apple sauce or mint sauce and this sort of thing. Fine, if that's what the customer wants, that's what they get. And he doesn't react. So, no, we're safe, Richard. I learned years ago that when you lo start losing your head in the kitchen, the people underneath you, they start going to, they're going to the wall. And it just is not conducive to getting uh, you know getting the best out of people working with people getting the food out and I have been accused on the other hand of taking it too lightly sometimes <laughs> and having a joke just as 300 people are about to be served so uh, I'd rather go the, the humorous way than the, the grumpy way. Well, I get stressed doing beans on toast for a family of four. You should come one day, Richard, and come in the kitchen. We'll arrange a night for you to come in and watch it. Watch the food go out if you if you're interested in food. Come I and thought, come I, and stand and see it. I thought you were going to say help with the cooking then, but I'm happy to. Say no. <laughs> that's fine. I'll maybe wash up. What I do, what I have heard, is the idea of a cookery book uh, from yourself, Greg. So, where did this idea come from? So um, this was through one of our meetings, one of my meetings with Nick. And to be honest, the idea came from her. I believe there's been a cookery book here at the Freemason Hall before for the, uh, to be sold for the charitable causes. So we were, we were sort of talking it through. And I was thinking, well, gosh, I don't really want to write another cookery book because they're a bit boring, aren't they? I think, you know, <laughs> looking at, you know uh, we go on the internet these days when you want a menu or, or, uh, or a recipe. So but what isn't given away in these uh, books is generally 
the sort of chef tips that we all work to in the kitchen. And uh, it was only after talking to Nick that I sort of realised because, you know, because the book is going to be sold for, for charity and good causes, that maybe I should give away some of the secrets. And these secrets are sort of like a little sort of closed circle in the chef world. So and we're always, when chefs work together, especially when you get new chefs coming to work with you or you go to new places, you see things that have been done differently. The, the latest one I saw was just remarkable, but outside of chef world, it won't be remarkable. So, uh, I, like, I like the idea I, of chef world, to be honest. Yeah. It sounds like a great theme park. <laughs> So the tip that I learned, I watched this chef and I was thinking, what's he up to? And he took a bottle of oil, just a one litre bottle of oil. And we would always decant this oil into a jug and then pour it into the frying pan. And you'd always get too much oil and it'd get too greasy and all this sort of stuff. So I'm thinking, what's this guy up to? And there he is. He's got like a skewer and he's got it over the heat and he's made this skewer hot, and without even opening the top of the lid, he's jabbing little holes in. So it's like a, like a salt pot type effect. But of course, when he wants to put his oil in the pan, he just picks up the bottle, gives it a little squirt, perfect amount of oil. And I was like, what an amazing idea. So simple, and yet I haven't seen that. And those are the sh chef's tips that make your life much, much easier in the kitchen. Where we come from as chefs is we're always time poor. Our bosses always want more. There's always more customers. There's always more to do. And so you have to innovate in the kitchen. You can't go to your boss and say, I need an X, Y, Z machine. They'll say, no money. So you always, innovation is always happening in the kitchen to get the best out of the food, the best out of service. So possibly not in the cooks, the chef's cookbook that is going to be written, will I be telling people poke holes in the top of their oil bottles? However, I will be divulging the secrets of how to make your meat lovely and tender, moist, etc. All of these tips that people really want to know, I think. And, uh, and then hopefully they will be able to complement that by then going onto the internet, looking at the various recipes and thinking, oh, I know, I'll just incorporate that little technique into that method. And hopefully they will be, uh, you know, the amazing their friends and family. So as well as the, the tips that you've learned over the years, what else is going in the book? I assume you've got a, a selection of, of, of ideas for recipes and dishes which are going to go in there. Is that all laid out now or are you still thinking? Um, that is sort of still thinking, but there are a, sort of a handful of classics that will just have to go to go in the book. And uh, I think one of the, the dishes, everybody likes Dauphinoise potatoes. However, when you receive your Dauphinoise potatoes in a restaurant or at the Freemasons Hall, you often find that they're in a perfectly square uh, rectangle of potato. And um, there is a trick to getting it to be like that. It can, it can be done so easily. And maybe many people think, well, you know, chef's been in there getting slices of potato 
and cutting each one square so they stack up and this is just not the case it's a it's a five minute job so there'll be some classic recipes in there classic dishes and then some real favorites that sort of are really about us at Freemasons Hall and you know they can they can sort of encapsulate what we're about so the idea the idea started i guess with a conversation with you with you nicola so tell me when is this going to be published it's a perfect way for greg to spend lockdown thinking about this and he and i have planned in the diary for the book to be ready to go to the publishers by the end of this year we're going to have some lovely color photographs in it and as as greg says it will have tips and techniques and then recipes that he suggests that those can be used in. So it will be published by the 1st of June 2021 and ready for sale to brethren and their families from September onwards. And we're not quite sure of the price yet. It depends how mad we go with number of pages and colour, but it's going to sell for hopefully nearer to £10, but a maximum of £15 per book. We'll be targeting lodge, individual lodges, Christmas presents, stocking fillers for wives, partners, neighbours, um, Mother's Days, Father's Days for those, because we know a number of uh, our members who cook. And in addition, uh, we're going to promote it through Devonshire Place, our non-Masonic business. And I'm hoping that during next summer, when the books are ready, uh, we know that lots of groups, luncheon clubs, women's institute groups, probus clubs are always looking for speakers. And as you've heard today, Greg's quite happy to have a chat about his life and an interesting life and career in cooking he's had as well. He's the first chef I've ever met who cooks to his standard and hasn't been to catering college. And I think that speaks volumes of what goes on in kitchens and how people can learn. So Greg will be going out and uh, talking to things. We may even get him doing a night of a, a cookery techniques demonstration. And we're going to promote the book, which we are, all the profits are going to our 2022 appeal. So it's an opportunity to introduce Greg introduce some of the great skills. I mean, I, I was always known as the poorest cook in our family, but ever since I've worked at Freemasons Hall and recently with Greg, it's no, that's no problem. Do it this way. And this way works and doesn't fail. And that's what I like. The doesn't fail bit and creates the wow factor. And we don't have failures uh, at Freemasons Hall. If we do, that's human nature. That's a blip but generally we don't. So um, it's great to have the book coming and there's lots of thought, lots of thought about local suppliers, where people can buy locally, which I think has come out of the pandemic, that we've all had to think about local egg farmers, you know, all, all those sort of people. And Greg will be looking at giving tips to places in Leicestershire that you can purchase local produce from as well. Now, this has been a fascinating insight into the operation, in particular your plans for the book as well. Is there anything else you'd like to say as a parting comment to the listeners, other than buy the book, or maybe that's what you want to say? <laughs> I would say that I really look forward to uh, getting out of lockdown. Uh, hopefully, the members coming back on mass and getting the show back on the road. 
that's where I am at the moment, as well as the, doing the book. And I'd just like to say to you, Richard, you know, just to thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Richard. And I endorse what Greg says. And at the same time, we send the, you know, a message out to everybody that we're still here. We're looking forward to you coming back. But in the meantime, as that is a, a long piece of string that never seems to be ending, we wish everybody well and uh, to stay well for the future. Thanks for your time, Richard. Excellent. Well, I now need to run to the kitchen and whip up some lunch. You've, you've got my ass <laughs> Thank you for, for your time. I know you're busy people, and I do hope to get to taste your food again very soon, Greg. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Thank you.